Our reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In this passage we're looking at this morning, the Apostle is once again encouraging believers to look up from their struggles, to realize that there's a bigger picture involved, that Jesus is coming again. He's left them with a task, but he is coming again. And what he wants to do in this passage is to just remind them and show them of what the end picture is and create in them that sense of expectation. He is coming again. Therefore, we know what's coming so we can get on with the job at hand. I guess it's a bit like when you go on holidays. You've reached that moment of departure. Everything's packed in the car. The kids are in the car. The animals have been sorted out. You've managed to find someone to look after them. You've had the fight with the wife about who's going to be looking at the map. You've either packed in the stove or it's switched off. And now this moment of going. The expectation is built up. It is here. Let's put our troubles behind us. Let's go. You see, the apostle was wanting to encourage struggling believers in the same way, to remind them that Christ is coming, that they are to be expectant of this great event. And he says to them, hold on, look up from your struggles. Christ is coming. That same sense of expectancy was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ in his parting instructions in Luke chapter 12 verse 40 where he said, you also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You see, in the same way that when you go on holiday, you've got to make certain preparations. You've got to have the car service. It's no use finding out when you're leaving that there's a bit of a tap somewhere that shouldn't be there. Or maybe one tire's flat. That's not going to do much for your holiday. You need to prepare things before you go. You need to get a babysitter in for the animals. You need to do all those things. Well, Christ says, before I come, you also need to make certain preparations. You are to be ready. And that is why I read that passage from Matthew about the wise virgins who trimmed their lamps, made sure there was oil in the lamps, so that when the bridegroom came, they were ready. They didn't, like the unwise virgins, have to first rush off and try and make the preparations, and then it was too late. We are to be ready for when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He could have come on Saturday. He didn't. Instead, he sent a tsunami and an earthquake to warn, repent of your sins. I am coming. 
Are you and I ready? If you're not a believer here this morning, are you ready for the Lord Jesus Christ? I can give you the answer to that. It's no. You're not ready. Because when he comes, it'll be too late. The Bible says, in the end times when Christ comes, on the day he comes, people will try to crawl under rocks to get away, but they can't. The nations will groan because it'll be too late to turn. Christ will be here. We are in the end times. The same theme is carried through. The Apostle writes a little later, just flick with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Look at what he says here. The same themes, expectation and faithfulness. The two go with each other. You can't be expectant and not be faithful as well. The two are inseparable. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. You see, the Lord is outside of time. He can come. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Today is the day to come to the Lord. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. A ten meter wave will be nothing on that day. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You see, those things are about to come, but we have a responsibility too, says the Apostle. Looking for, verse 12, and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. You see, Jesus Christ is coming. We have a job to do in preparation for his coming. Jesus also left us instructions. We have to make sure that those around us are also ready for his coming. What did he say in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20? Turn with me, if you would, to that. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We should know this verse off by heart. It's up at the back of our church. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, there it is again. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus brought in the end of the age with our responsibilities before him. Be ready, he says. You see, why are we to be ready? Because, says our text in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Do you sense the urgency in those words this morning to us? You see, we need to anticipate Christ's return. We need to be anticipating it every single day. And that anticipation should impact our daily lives. We can't just go ho-hum through our lives thinking today is just going to be a normal day. We have to live in expectation of his coming again. We are in the end of redemptive history. Those of you who play golf, I'm sure you've had one of those shots where you hit that ball and it kind of goes straight to the hole and then it circles round and then it drops in. No? Okay. 
I haven't either. But I've seen it on TV. Alright? That imminency is that picture over there. That ball is about to drop in. It is circling round. It's about to drop. That is the imminency that the apostle is describing here. And so he says to them, Christ is coming. Take courage. Be ready. There's a human responsibility. How are we to be ready? And now he starts on that in verse 7. He says, pray. What does our verse say? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. This prayer is talking about, it's not that prayer that you pray when you're kind of half asleep just before you go to bed. And you're kind of halfway through your prayer and then you fall asleep. It's not that type of prayer he's talking about. It's not that type of prayer which just says grace and that's it for the day. It's not that type of prayer which, Lord help me, this is going to be a terrible day. He's not just talking about those arrow prayers either. This is prayer which is intentional and it is clear minded and it's thought about before the Lord. You see, he uses that little word, therefore. And that's the framework around which he, he puts around our praying. Christ is coming. His coming is imminent. Therefore, he says, be clear-minded and sober-minded before him for your prayer's sake. And by the way, he doesn't suggest you can pray. See, he doesn't say, and by the way, um, if you'd like to pray, the option's there for you. No, this is the command form. He says pray. In what way are we to pray? We are to be clear-minded with sound judgment. In other words, we are to have self-control when we pray. We are to be clear in our minds what we're praying about. We are to, be, we are to know what we're going to be praying for. We're not just to suck it out our thumbs as we're busy trying to pray. We are really to give the thought and know where we are going. And then we're to give the Spirit, the openness in our minds and in our hearts to lead us in that prayer before the Lord. You see, the Apostle Peter very well knew that these were the two areas that he fell short in. You see, Peter wasn't self-controlled when he cut off that servant's ear. That wasn't premeditated. That just came. That's typical Peter. And so this was really a wake-up call for him too. And he had that in mind. Be self-controlled when you come before the Lord in your prayers. I've fallen in this area, says the Apostle. And therefore I'm saying to you, be self-controlled. And you know, he was also in Gethsemane when Jesus said to him, pray with me. And what did Peter do? It's true Peter style. He falls asleep. What did Peter do when he was before the soldiers and Jesus was about to be crucified? He denied the Lord, not once, not twice, three times, true Peter style. He knew he was not sober-minded then. You see, the word used here for someone is for someone who is in their right mind as contrasted to one who is under the power of a demon. That is the actual definition here. Whose power are you in when you pray? Are you in your right mind before the Lord? Are you thinking clearly? We came across this when we looked at 1 Peter 1 verse 13 where we were told to prepare our minds for action. Same word is used here. We have to prepare our minds for prayer. Don't just come ho-hum unprepared before the Lord. 
prepare your minds for prayer. You see, we're not to be put off by what's happening in world events around us. You see, it's so easy to get swayed by what we see on TV, by those images. And it's so easy to get panicked. Oh no, it's the end of the world. And we join with the doomed prophets. And I've, I've, I've seen so much evidence of this. Those ones who seem to be on the planning committee for Christ's return and judgment. They seem to be on the committee. They seem to know more about it than what the Lord Jesus Christ knows. Because even the sun doesn't know the hour when he's coming. But these guys seem to do. And they're out there putting out their statements. We are not to be swayed by those things. We are to be clear-minded. What the scriptures say is going to happen. And there are many passages, and I read some of them this morning, where you can go and look if you want to know what is going to happen before Christ comes again. That is the clarity we are called to when we pray. Don't come to God with little panic prayers. Think before you pray. Come clear-minded. Know what his word is saying and then bring your prayers to the Lord. We are to be sober in spirit when we come before the Lord. And the, the soberness he's speaking about here is a sobriety as contrasted to intoxication. That is the actual word used here. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be looking at a few passages this morning. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. In what manner should we pray? Well, here's the attitude described to us. Romans 13, verse 11. He's speaking about love here, but look at the state of mind. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That's a very true statement, isn't it? The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And yes, that covers prayer. How do you come before the Lord in prayer? Do you come intoxicated in your mind, thinking about all kinds of things when you should have clear thoughts before the Lord? You should know who you're approaching. I'm approaching Lord God Almighty. You see, some of us as believers, and I'm speaking to myself here once again, we are always seem to be tearing around from one thing to the next. Our minds are crowded out with all kinds of activities, with all kinds of fears and worries in life. We're never at rest in our hearts. And when we're in that state of mind, we will not pray properly and we cannot pray properly before the Lord. Why? Because that's a reflection of our relationship with Him. Have you got a rushed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, I haven't got time today. I'll be in next. I'll have to make an appointment for this, Lord. Or do you put aside time daily to spend with the Lord, to build up your relationship with the Lord 
and to pray with Him? Are you in a rushed relationship with the Lord? I'm guilty of that. We need to slow down and spend time with the Lord. We need to be clear-minded when we come to Him in prayer. We need to be sober-minded, not distracted by what is going on around us when we come to Him in prayer. You see, our prayer life is a spiritual thermometer for you and I as to where we are before the Lord. It's a spiritual thermometer. What's the temperature of your life before the Lord? Secondly, the Apostle says to us in verse 8, he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, here's another action for us. We have to pray in a right way before the Lord to ready ourselves for His coming. Another thing we are to do as the church and as believers are we are to love each other fervently, says our text. And he says, above all, love each other. This is the important one. Alright? So if you're sleeping here, wake up. This is the time to listen. Love each other fervently, says our text. It's a one another love he's speaking about here. The word fervently we also came across earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Remember that text? We spoke about Christian service then. We are to have a stretched out love. That is the picture of an athlete running at full tilt or a horse running at full tilt. Those muscles are stretched to the extreme. That is the type of love we as believers are to have for one another. What is your love like for your fellow believers? Look around you sitting here today. And as as I look across the congregation today, I have to ask myself, what is my love for you you all like? Is it a stretched out love? Or is it an an excuse-making love? You see, this love the Apostle Peter is speaking here about is not a self-centered love, but it is a giving of self-love. Love each other fervently. Why? He carries on, he says, because this type of love covers a multitude of sins. And what he's, please get this straight, he's not saying here this morning that when you see your brother in sin, just hush it up. Cover it over. That's not what he's talking about here. What was Christ's love like for us? Did Christ cover up our sin? Definitely not. Christ died for our sins. He's a holy God. He can't bear sin before Him. But what does He do? When we come to Him and we ask for forgiveness, what does Christ do? He covers our sins. He forgives them. He remembers them no more. It's not held against us any longer. And we carry on life forgiven, pure before Him. Well, in the same way, says the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Peter, have that same love towards each other. Forgive each other. Don't hold those grudges against each other. Cover them. Forgive them. Because true love covers a multitude of sins. You see, he's not so much speaking about the sins that people commit to before God, but the sins people commit towards each other. It's our towards each other sins he's talking about here. Forgive them. Don't hold them against your fellow brother, your sister. They are your brother in Christ. She is your sister in Christ. Christ's love covers both of you. Love each other in the same way. Forgive each other. There's a fantastic example of this in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 9. 
Just flick with me, please. We've got to get to the Old Testament sometime today. Genesis chapter 9, verses 20. And here we have the account of Noah. And yes, even the super saint Noah, who saved humanity because he was obedient to God, even super Noah had an off day. He got drunk. And this is his account. And unfortunately for Noah, it's also in Scripture. Your sins at least are not held against you. His is recorded for all humanity to see. And I'm sure he's still talking about that. Chapter 9, verse 23. Look what happened to him. Now Shem and Japheth, this is after they out the ark, alright? Sorry, I'm going to go back a bit. Verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. It's quite a responsibility. Verse 20. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. This is super saint Noah. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Now look at Ham's reaction, because the Bible comments on that now. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And it wasn't a, hey, the old boy's drunk again. That wasn't the way he was telling it. The, the inference here is that he was making a mockery of his dad. He went and told his brothers. But Shem and Japheth, look at their reaction. They took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and they walked backward backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Do you see the attitude there? They were covering their father's sin. He still had to sort it out and he got punished for that later. He still had to sort that out before the Lord but they wanted to protect their father. Were they trying to hush hush it? No. They were protecting their father from shame. Do you see the attitude of love? We are to have that same attitude, says the Apostle. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says it this way, Hatred stirs up strife, but true love covers all offences. What is your attitude this morning towards those who have sinned against you? Have you forgiven them 70 times 7, according to Matthew 18.22? Have you loved your fellow brothers and sisters fervently? Do you love them fervently at full stretch? Thirdly, the Apostle says in verse 9, let's read together. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaints. That's a very short verse, but what a verse. You see, that verse literally means give food and shelter to those in need in the original. And by doing this, the early church made it possible for mission work to happen during that era, for the gospel to spread right around the world. Why? Because as people came to them and visited, as the the visiting apostles, as the visiting missionaries came along, they actually gave them food and shelter and looked after them. 3 John 5 and 6 speaks about it this way. If you know where 3 John is, it's right at the end of the Bible, just before Revelation in Jude. 3 John Verse 5 and 6. Beloved, 
You are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Here he's speaking to a man called Gaius, and he's commending him before the whole church and all generations after that, because we are reading this, and he's saying, this man was a true man who was hospitable. He served his brothers and sisters, and that made the gospel, the spread of the gospel possible. You see, this is the, the level we are called to. We are to be hospitable to each other. It's one of the qualifications for spiritual leadership. So if you're a spiritual leader in this church, you've got to ask yourself, do I live up to this expectation from the Lord? Am I practically hospitable in my home? We have to ask ourselves that. But it's a one another hospitality too. It's to you and I as we stand and sit here today. You see, this is the result of mutual fellowship and a strengthening of Christian ties. When we are hospitable in this way, it will result in mutual fellowship and an upbuilding of the body. That is why God in his wisdom has brought it to us and said, this is one thing I want you to do, to be ready for my return. Look after each other. Be hospitable. And here's the proviso, and this is the hard one, without grumbling. Aren't we so quick to grumble? We're getting people again today. You see, what does grumbling do? Grumbling drives out faith. Grumbling is thankless. It doesn't show thanksgiving. Grumbling is joyless before the Lord. It is exactly the opposite to cheerfulness. And in the end, grumbling is ultimately against God. Why? Because God has brought people around and he wants you to be hospitable to them. And when you groan and grumble, what are we doing? I'm saying, God, did you have to do this today? Why did you have to order my circumstances so these visitors came to church today, Lord? It's a busy day today, Lord. Do you see what happens? We grumble against God. And the Apostle says to us, if you want to be ready for the Son of Man to come, then be hospitable one to another. Look after each other. And yes, it's going to be costly. And yes, it's going to be burdensome. And yes, at times it will be exasperating and even irritating to have people around. Because not everyone is always pleasant. They've got all kinds of mannerisms. However, hospitality, as to the Lord, says the Apostle, is pleasing to the Lord and uplifting, mutually encouraging to the body. And we have to do that if we want to be obedient to the Lord. This is not our wisdom. This is God's wisdom is given to us. And he says to us, we need to be obedient. As a church, Wanganui East Baptist Church this morning, God has brought us this passage. Are we a hospitable church? Are we known to be hospitable? When visitors and strangers come in here, do we look after them as, they are, as if they were long lost brothers and sisters? Do we look after each other in this body? When last have you had someone over to your place, whether it's for a full meal or for afternoon tea, to have them over and be hospitable? I can hear the excuses already coming. This is really where I want to urge you to use that directory we've given to you. We didn't put it out there to look effective. We put it out there as a tool. 
Use it for hospitality. Use it to pray for your brothers and sisters, to pray clearly for them. There they are. You know what they look like. If you need to, go to them and say, what can I pray for for you? And then pray for them. And if you can help, help them. Love them. Be hospitable to them. Let's be there for each other. Why? Because the Lord is coming. And when He comes, we want Him to find us about His business. Not sitting in front of the TV or playing X games or whatever you're doing. We are to be about His business that moment when He arrives. And one of those is hospitality. And then fourthly, He says in verses 10 to 11, Serve through your gifts. Let's read those verses. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Take note of that. You are being good stewards of the manifold grace of God when you use your gifts. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. And then the apostle goes into seventh heaven with his giving glory to God. And we'll get to that now. But you see, we are to serve each other with our gifts. Love and service are inseparable. Service is love in action. If you say you love someone, then show it, is what the apostle is saying. There's a long-standing misconception in many churches, and I'm not sure in this one, I'm looking, where they think that it's the minister or the pastor who's supposed to do all the ministering or the pastoring. Well, I put to you that I'm one man with limited energy, and even though the Lord supplies that, I cannot do that. We, as saints, are to do the work of ministry, and that is what he's speaking about here. Use your gifts to God's glory in the body. You see, as leaders, we are there, according to Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 12, we are there to lead, to guard, to disciple, and to equip the saints. That is you and I. Look around. The next one next to you, if they're a believer, they're a saint. Okay? They might not act like it, but sometimes they are, they are always saints. Alright? And we need to be doing the work of ministry in this church. We are to be serving each other, says our text. Why? So that the church will be built up in love. That's God's wisdom. You see, the biblical principle here this morning is that all can serve with gifts and all should be serving with gifts. Did you hear what I said there? All can serve. Every single believer here can serve with a gift. Ah! gift. The Bible speaks about each believer having received at least one gift that God has given to them. The question is, are you serving with your one gift? Or you might even have more. You see, it's not your choice. It's God's choice. Why? Because God is the giver of the gifts. And he knows Wanganui's Baptist needs this. And so I'm going to give this gift of grace to that individual. And what does that individual do? That individual folds their arms and holds their gift back and no one else has the benefit, which God had decided the church must have. Do you get what I'm getting at? There's responsibility with receiving gifts. You see, it's not your choice, it's God's choice. 
God knows what this body here needs. He gives the gifts accordingly. When you serve with your gifts, you are meeting the needs inside this body that God has brought together. Each one has received a special gift, says verse 10, with a specific purpose. Each believer has at least one gift, one ability, one talent empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what your gift is? And no, I'm not going to give out a whole thing so you can work out what that is. You go before the Lord, come with clear thoughts before Him, come with humility before Him, and He will show you your gifts. Ask people around you, what are my gifts? And it will have come out in some way. But the question is, do you know your gifts that the God has given you? And the harder question is, are you using that gift? You see, it's not for yourself, it's here for others. It's been given for the common good. No, not for your own enjoyment. And I wish I could play the piano like Kirsten did this morning. I wish I could. Because I would really use that for my enjoyment. I would. I can feel the music that wants to get out there. But God has given someone else that gift. And she uses it so beautifully. Are you using your gift to God's glory? And when you do, enjoyment will come through that gift. You see, when we withhold our gifts, or when we serve grudgingly, oh, I'm on duty again today. You've all, I've been there too. Alright. When you serve grudgingly, what happens? The whole body is affected. There are needs there in the body that are not being met. And that's all because you are being disobedient to your master. He's given you the gift and he said, use it for my body. So, a gift brings responsibility. This word gift is an interesting word. It comes from the root word charisma, which is the same form as the word grace, which is the word charis. You see, gifts from God are because of God's undeserved mercy to you and I, and to the body here, the church. And they are to be used humbly before the Lord. They are to, use, to be used vigorously before the Lord. Lord, I'm not serving the body, I'm serving you first. And then this body of believers here. We are to be serving the Lord first. But it's also interesting because he speaks in verse 10 too about God's manifold or variegated. And those of you who are plant enthusiasts, you'll know what that means. That means of different types. You see, God's grace is manifold, is, is a manifold grace. It is a variegated grace. God doesn't give the same grace to one person as he does to the next. His grace extends to each believer in the way that that person needs it. And when God brings gifts into the church, He brings various gifts, variegated gifts. And that gift that you have is to serve others in a very specific way as well, to meet their needs. And so when you withhold that, that person's needs aren't being met. You're not loving that person, says the Apostle. So in summary this morning, your gift is needed. You see, we are the extension of God's grace on earth. We are the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to use those gifts to the edification and the upbuilding of the body. And then he mentions two specific gifts. He mentions the gift of speaking and the gift of serving. The, the gift of speaking, basically those who teach, those who preach, those encourage fellow believers, those who lead in communion. I was so great to see the saints in action today. Those who encourage other believers through their words, 
those who testify about God's grace, all right, fielding's coming, that is using the gift of speaking. Those who even sing up here, that is using the gifts of speaking, of singing words to God's glory. Use those to God's glory. What is our attitude to be when we're serving with the gifts of speaking? As one who is speaking the utterances of God. Do we count the words we say? Or do we glibly, and I've done worship leading before, do we glibly come up here and we just sing words? I'm not actually thinking about what I'm singing. When I go and speak to someone and want to encourage them in hospital, do I think about what I'm going to be saying to them? Or do I just think, well, I've got the gift of the gab, God will give it to me, it'll happen. We are to give them the very utterances of God. That is the attitude we are to have as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Do you see the responsibility? There's massive responsibility. Why? Because when we come with that gift, we are to be Christ-centered. Not the gift of the gab, self-centered. And I need to clarify here, it doesn't mean that you can bring a new word from the Lord. And I keep hearing this phrase, a new word from the Lord. No, God's word is tied up here. It's done, it's finished, full stop. God brings parts of it to our attention and then he might stir in your heart to go and see someone and to give them a, a word of encouragement. Great, but that's not a new word from the Lord. Let's get away from that false teaching that's around. In so many churches today, there are no new words from the Lord. God has given us his word. And then he uses his word here to encourage each other. You see, when you have that prompting on your heart, be obedient to that. The Holy Spirit prompts us. Don't say, well, I can't go today and I really feel like I need to go and see the person. Go and see them. Because God will give you the words to speak to them as His Spirit prompts you. But you need to be clear that what you're saying lines up with Scripture. Otherwise, it's not a word from the Lord at all. It's just coming from you. And we need to not confuse those. And then the second gift he speaks about here is the gift of service. And that's just general service to the body. If you're deacon on duty or whether you're welcoming people at the door or just serving afterwards, making tea, washing up cups, Visiting the sick, making meals, mowing lawns, not just here at the church, but for each other, showing true love. Shopping for those who can't, making it possible for them to go shopping. I'll come and load you up at four and let's go shopping. Are we loving this way? Are we serving in this way, says the Apostle. And yes, you're going to get those days when you think, well, I just can't go on anymore. I don't have any more strength. Well, Scripture says... You are to serve by the strength which God supplies. How much strength has God got? Limitless supplies. Here's the bad news. You can carry on serving. Because God will give you the good news is limitless strength. And so, those excuses that we keep bringing up, and I've heard them plenty as a pastor. Alright? I can't get involved because you join up the dots. Let's make our excuses to the Lord. Don't come and tell me as a pastor. Tell the Lord first, and then come and tell me what he's told you. You see, the picture here is of service which is obedient, service which is humble, service which is energetic, and service where people can fully rely that you will be there and you will be serving the Lord first. Why? Because he's giving you the strength and he will empower you. That's what we're speaking about here. 
And in conclusion, the apostle says, and this is where he says, verse, where am I? Verse 11. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. You see, what's the overarching goal of our prayer, of our love, of our hospitality, and of our service? It is this, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. You see, it's only through the enabling power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself that anything you do will be to God's glory. If you try and serve and you are not in the Lord, that is just to the Lord as filthy rags. And you cannot get into heaven because you serve the Lord. You need to be in that relationship um, with the Lord Jesus Christ so that he will be gl- God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so as believers, we are to glorify God through our prayer, through our practical love for our fellow believers here at this church, through our untiring hospitality to our brothers and sisters, as well as to strangers who come in here. We are to glorify God through our selfless service to the rest of this church as we serve with the gifts God has given to this church, not to you. Are you obedient to God's word? God has brought it to us and our attention this week. What is your attitude as you come to serving the Lord? You see, Peter's own heart is moved as he writes this verse Peter's own heart is moved to glorify God. He says, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes into his own worship service over here as he's writing these words, as he thinks what Christ has done, and then the wisdom of God's plan when believers are obedient to the Lord. And he just says, Lord, to you be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that little Amen, which means so let it be, is not just tacked on there because they had some space and so in the original manuscript they wrote Amen. No. It's there for a specific purpose. He's saying, Lord, let this be. My life, Lord, is to serve you and I've served you, Lord. Let it be. That's what the Apostle's saying. In your life, can you with a clear conscience this morning... Say before the Lord, Amen. Are you whispering that Amen or are you shouting it out? Lord, my life is a billion to you. Amen or Amen. If you know that your life is bringing glory to the Lord, if you know that you are praying as you should before the Lord, if you know that you are loving, as you look around this body, you are loving your fellow believers and that you love to have people, even though it's hard, you love to have them in your home, and you want to serve God and your fellow believers here, then when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, you will be ready. Otherwise, you won't. As a believer, you won't be ready. You will also be caught unprepared. Yes, you will go to heaven. There's no doubt about that. But you won't be ready for when the Son of God appears. We are to be busy about His business when He appears. This morning, if there's an area in your life that the Lord has stirred, the Holy Spirit has stirred in your life, don't let it go. I say the Sunday in, Sunday out. When you walk out those doors, don't let these things go. Be obedient to the Lord. Start, not Monday, start today. When you stand up at your chair, start your obedience before Him. Because He will give you the strength when you think you can't. He will lift you up. 
when you cannot go on any longer, when you become discouraged, He will give you the strength. And what's the Apostle saying to us this morning? Persevere. Persevere. The end is coming. Be ready in your obedience. I want to be ready. And I will stand and do my work until the Lord comes or until He takes me home. What about you? Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. And let's serve the Lord together. And let this church be known as a place which loves God. The people love God. When visitors walk in here, they can see. They love God. They want to glorify Him. Let's pray together. Lord, our Heavenly Father, what an awesome time we've had of just bringing those rousing hymns and choruses with those beautiful words and singing from the tops of our voices because we want to give you glory. And Lord, thank you that we could gather around your table and just remind ourselves what it's all about because Jesus died, therefore I can also live. Thank you for that reminder, Lord. And thank you for this reminder, even in these dark times when we look at the news, when we read our newspapers and see those photos all over the front pages. Thank you, Lord, that we know that you have died to make all this possible so that we can live obedient lives before you. And Lord, you didn't just leave it there. You promised that you were coming again and you're on your way. You are coming again because you are outside of time, Lord. To you, it is a moment to come. To us, it is years of waiting. But Lord, your word comes to us this morning. You want us to be faithful to you. And that is our preparation for when you come again. We are to be active in our obedience to you. We are to pray as we should before you. Not rush our prayers out and then our deed is done for the day. We are to come before you in humility and bear our souls before you and allow your Holy Spirit to point out what needs to be done in our lives and then we come before you and you ask for forgiveness before you for those and then you forgive us and we go out with cleared consciences and minds and we serve you. Lord, thank you for this reminder that we are to love you with all our strength. We are to love our fellow believers in the same way with all our strength, with all the gifts you've given to us, with all the provisions you've given to us. We are to love practically. When we see our brother needing a coat, we are to give him that coat. Lord, that is the love you call us to. And Lord, thank you that you've also called us to serve each other. Thank you for this reminder, Lord, that it's about you. That we are serving you. Our lives are to be to give glory to you in the way we serve each other. And Lord, thank you that in your wisdom, you've given us gifts. Your grace poured out on us. And you've given those gifts because you know what this body here at Wanganu East needs. Lord, help us not to keep that gift from our fellow brothers and sisters, but to serve you and so serve them. Lord, help us to be obedient, we pray. To you be all the glory, the one who gives us all the strength. Amen.